We've spent more than two years digging into this single misdemeanor case. While interviewing, researching, and writing this story, we watched the world change in significant ways that influenced our reporting at turns. The COVID pandemic exacerbated the inefficiencies in the criminal justice system. That delayed some of our public records requests and court proceedings related to Christian's case. And stories appeared in the news that were thematically relevant to our work, even if peripherally. Like when George Floyd's murder shocked the world and galvanized the nation. Outrage over Floyd's murder and repeated incidents of police brutality led over 30 states to pass more than 140 law enforcement accountability laws, according to data gleaned from the National Conference of State Legislatures by the New York Times in 2021. In Colorado, where our story takes place, the state legislature passed a sweeping police reform bill in 2020, requiring, among other things, that all local law enforcement agencies issue body-worn cameras to their officers starting in July 2023. But there's at least one group of Colorado law enforcement officers not subject to the increased accountability measures. And who might that be, Lauren? It happens to be animal control officers. You're listening to Vulnerable Creatures. I'm Matthew Schnipper. And I'm Lauren Hub. This is Episode 2, Pet Police. In our last episode, we told you about Christian, an autistic 21-year-old charged with two counts of animal cruelty to Storm, the kitten he shared with his 20-year-old fiancé, Andrea. The charges were filed by Corporal Vicki Cheney, an animal law enforcement officer with the Humane Society of the Pikes Peak region. So Christian was charged by someone who works for the Humane Society, not the police department or sheriff's office. Right. When people hear Humane Society, they tend to think of the place to go to rescue orphaned animals. I actually adopted one of my cats from this Humane Society. They're an open admission shelter in Colorado Springs that treats hurt animals and reunites owners with pets. But they also have an animal law enforcement division that investigates animal cruelty. They take calls 24-7, 365 days a year, providing vital emergency services. As we dug into this story, we wondered, how do animal law enforcement officers differ from police officers and sheriff's deputies? What exactly do they do? To find out, we initially spoke with one of Corporal Cheney's supervisors at the Humane Society, Assistant Director for Animal Law Enforcement, Lindsay Vigna. We learned that animal law enforcement officers, or ALEs for short, respond to nuisance complaints and attend to vicious, stray, or injured animals. state of Colorado, they are considered property, but they are the most vulnerable creatures in our lives. Imagine the strain on police departments if their officers had to respond to tens of thousands of calls about barking dogs and the like, in addition to handling homicides, robberies, car wrecks, and all the rest. To better understand the job, we spent five hours on a ride-along with Officer Nicole Michon one weekday morning in 2020. She's not an imposing physical presence at five foot three, with light hair pulled high in a ponytail, but she is a badass at a very tough job. Like all ALE officers, she's equipped with catch poles, a metal baton, a stun gun, and pepper spray, but notably no firearm. She's been trained in verbal judo, how to defuse situations, as well as rules around use of force. But she works solo 10-hour shifts leaving her potentially vulnerable in an extreme scenario. Her job may be to protect pets from people and people from pets, but people do crazy things. Like in 2019, when a guy murdered his neighbor for reporting him to the Humane Society over an aggressive animal. Michon worked that investigation. We find her fearless, meticulous in her work, and even-handed, balancing the emotional burdens of the job with a keen sense of humor. 
She joked with us at one point that she would fight someone for a hoarder house. Yeah, she told us dispatch knew to send her to those calls because catching cats all day is fun. She said she'd come in on an off day to do a hoarder house. But she was terrified of chickens. Absolutely terrified, she said. She cracked us up by calling them land sharks. (laughs) So maybe she's not always fearless. While she may not like dealing with chickens, she, like all ALEs at this humane society, knows how to handle a wide variety of species. There's extensive instruction on dogs and cats, of course, but there's also classes on small mammals like reptiles, guinea pigs, and rabbits, on up to equine certifications. Yeah, she provided some pretty entertaining commentary for what proved to be an otherwise mundane ride-along. We search for dogs reported off-leash in a city park. And don't find them. We hunt for stray dogs spotted near a burned-out apartment unit. And don't find them. We drop into a trailer park to attempt a welfare check on an emaciated dog. And don't find it or the owner who appears to be ghosting ALE officers. Mishan follows up on a barking dog complaint. Finally, we meet a dog! I was getting pretty bummed that I hadn't gotten to pet one yet. I'd expected more from this day. You should know that I'm an animal lover. The guy who stops you at the park, or on the sidewalk, or really anywhere to ask to pet your dog. I didn't grow up around animals, so I didn't really get that until I adopted a pandemic kitty and fell madly in love with my pink-nosed brat cat. Anyway, that dog I did get to meet was a big, handsome golden retriever. Uh, Michonne patiently explained the owner's rights as she hands her the court summons. She's as compassionate as she can be, so much so that the lady who's just been handed a slip of paper that ruins her day, literally remarks, you're so nice. The closest we get to any real action, a little later in the day, before Michonne heads to court to testify for a previous case, is a priority one beating in progress call. That has us do a 180 in traffic and rush far across town to this big box store where a customer alleged a groomer was handling a schnauzer roughly. It sounds like a misunderstanding, or more accurately, a misperception. But Mia Sean dutifully drives us out to meet with the owner and see the dog for herself. The pup is outwardly aggressive. Unfazed, Mia Sean gets close, but far enough out to examine it safely, saying, Okay, buddy, I know you don't like me, but I need to see if you're okay. She tells us she'll later return to the store to watch security footage before she'll be satisfied she knows what happened. She's thorough. Her training includes Fourth Amendment search and seizure rules, crime scene photography, evidence collection, and report writing. So most of an ALE's job at this humane society is animal control. In 2020, the Animal Law Enforcement Division in this story fielded more than 40,000 calls, of which only about 20% resulted in a cruelty investigation response, a spokesperson told us. In other words, 80% of the job isn't spent on the law enforcement side. Another key difference is that ALEs undergo significantly less training than standard law enforcement officers. Colorado Springs police officers fulfill more than 1,000 hours of training, while new hires at the local sheriff's office receive over 700 hours. But ALE investigating officers complete a total of just over 350 hours of training. And that training isn't solely focused on the law enforcement aspects of the job. When we interviewed the area's newly elected district attorney, Michael Allen, about the law enforcement training piece of his newly created animal cruelty unit in early 2021, he told us ALE investigations needed to be conducted at a higher level and with increased consistency. By contrast, he said the sheriff's office, which handles some animal control cases outside of city limits, does a fantastic job investigating animal cruelty cases. The animal 
of officers at Humane Society is really where we want to make sure we are dedicating the vast majority of our efforts. Lindsay Vinya, assistant director for animal law enforcement, on the other hand, sees ALE training as equivalent to police training. I mean, really, our academy has been molded from a basic police academy. Um, the only difference is we're obviously trying to apply everything to the animal world. The ALEs in this story are employed by the Humane Society of the Pikes Peak region, a nonprofit that is not solely or even predominantly a law enforcement agency. And they're not subject to the same transparency and accountability requirements as standard law enforcement. But they have the same power to charge you with crimes, as long as those crimes fall under the state animal cruelty statute, section 18-9-202 of the Colorado Criminal Code. And let me tell you, a lot of things fall under the animal cruelty statute, from mutilating, beating, or sexual intercourse with an animal, to depriving it of sufficient shelter, neglecting, or failing to feed it properly. As 4th Judicial District Attorney Michael Allen told us, If you've got somebody that's um, poor and is just having a hard time even putting food on their own table, let alone into the pet bowl, that's, that's one thing. If it's somebody that's torturing an animal, that's a totally different thing, and, and that's going to result in a different type of approach. But the charge is the same for both, animal cruelty. And when people hear someone's been charged with animal cruelty, they tend to assume it's the really gruesome stuff. Vinya told us ALE officers push education more than enforcement when it comes to things like failing to properly care for animals. They try to help people be more responsible pet owners rather than charge them with crimes. We feel that if we can educate um, whenever possible, you know, hopefully we can prevent some of those situations from, from reoccurring. A big part of our training is training officers that these people you're dealing with in the community, they are not all criminals. Vinya offers us an example, a call for a dog that's left outside with no water. When the ALE goes in to assess the situation, the dog's owner claims the animal tips the water bowl over all the time. And that might be true, but an ALE's job is to search for more clues. Like, have there been any prior service calls, an earlier citation? Is the animal properly licensed and vaccinated? Let's say all that checks out. Vinya says the ALE officers will try to help find a solution to the problem, such as burying part of the bowl so it can't flip over. If the officer isn't too busy with other calls, she says they might even help dig the hole. While investigating all cruelty cases, Vinya stresses how important it is for ALEs to maintain objectivity. Something we're trying to teach the officers is that your role out in the community, you are not judge and jury. And so even though it's really, really hard, you want to get to investigate a case and you want to be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt this happened and this is the person that did it, really our... Our job is to, you know, recognize, is there probable cause to believe this happened? And if there is, we have, you know, enough reason to move forward with the charges. So that's how an investigation is supposed to go. Let's look at how Corporal Cheney's investigation into Storm's injuries went. According to Corporal Cheney's field notes, the first thing she does upon receiving the case on November 24th, 2018, is contact Powers Pet Emergency the vet clinic that treated Storm. What's weird, though, is the staff at the emergency vet clinic says no one spoke with Corporal Cheney that day. And there's no documentation in Storm's vet records to indicate anyone at the vet clinic spoke to Corporal Cheney either. Cheney doesn't note the name of the person she speaks to, but she says she's told that the vet notes indicate the trauma sustained to Storm could only have been caused by a human. 
The word only is in all caps in her field notes. However, the vet notes don't say anything about the cause of Storm's injuries. So before Corporal Cheney walks into the apartment to meet with Andrea, she's operating from the presumption that Storm's injuries were conclusively human-caused. According to Cheney's notes, Andrea tells her she left at 4 a.m. on the morning of November 19 for work and didn't return home until 7.20 p.m. That's when she saw that Storm wasn't putting weight on her right front leg, blood was seeping out of the right eye, and the area above the eye was swollen. Christian was home alone with Storm all day, and he told Andrea he gave the kitten a bath after she peed on a blanket. While bathing her, he said he first discovered the blood around her eye. Andrea called her mom, Teresa, to describe Storm's condition. Her mom told her to go to the ER vet right away. She told Andrea not to drive herself because she was so upset she may get into an accident. Andrea asked Christian to take her, but he wouldn't because he had a paper to write. Corporal Cheney notes Christian's refusal to go to the ER is unusual. Andrea tells Cheney she doesn't know when the injury actually occurred or what had happened, but she did notice a Christmas stocking holder on the floor and a vase knocked over on top of an adjacent table before she left in the morning. Corporal Cheney observes and takes photos of Storm, saying she's lethargic and can barely open her right eye, but is eating and drinking normally. Cheney notes Andrea appeared to care deeply for Storm. She then questions Andrea about whether Christian had ever abused her, to which Andrea replies, no. That's when Cheney suggests Andrea call the Domestic Violence Prevention Agency and seek a protective order. It seems to come out of nowhere, so we asked Corporal Cheney's supervisor, Vinya, about it. She said, In regards to um, the, refer, the referral to Tessa, yes. um, so uh, just some back history, the Corporal Cheney was actually previously a divert officer um, with the Domestic Violence Referral Program. Okay. So she certainly uh, had, you know, above and beyond knowledge of probably an average officer of what, you know, she was recognizing as potential um, issues. Divert was the Domestic Violence Enhanced Response Team, a multi-agency effort to address the most lethal domestic violence situations. You'll hear from Divert's co-founders and learn more about its work in future episodes. She said that also the, the mom, the mother of uh, the victim's uh, the mother of the the lady, the fiance, um, was also fearful and was asking how she could go about protecting her, which is how the subject of Tessa came up. She recognized similar situations and the cycle of animal violence. Um, in addition to, you know, mom was there, um, both were pretty emotional, talking about moving, you know, and that, you know, they were, they were fearful. If the cycle of violence sounds familiar to you, you may remember Andrea said something similar in her application for a protective order. Understanding the cycle of violence, I fear that if he could so critically injure our kitten, that I could be the next one critically injured. Vinya told us ALE officers receive training on a link between animal abuse and domestic violence. In future episodes, we'll also examine that link in detail. You know, our officers have a lot of... Um, you know, gray area. It's a slippery slope when you're out in the field because some people just, you know, want somebody to talk to you. Corporal Cheney also tells Andrea 
another ALE officer will have to check back to ensure Storm's no longer living with Christian. In Cheney's presence, Andrea calls a friend who agrees she and Storm can stay with them. Cheney next drives to the pet ER to get the physical vet records that she'd only heard about by phone prior, and makes a note that she's saving follow-up on the case for herself. Vinya, Cheney's supervisor, previously told us that officers are trained to take detailed notes because several different officers may handle a case, but their system doesn't typically allow for one case to only be handled by one person. So we asked Vinya about Cheney saving this case for herself. She's actually one of our most seasoned officers. She's also a girl of animal protection agent, um, and she does. She handles a lot of those more uh, higher-level, specifically felony-level cruelty cases. We asked why a seasoned veteran would be so interested in a low-level misdemeanor like this, then. This case was not a low-level misdemeanor case. This case was submitted for a felony-level charge. When she said that, Matthew and I looked at each other, confused, because it was charged as a misdemeanor. And Cheney even noted that the prosecutor told her it was a strong misdemeanor one cruelty case. In Colorado, a felony-level animal cruelty charge only applies when a person knowingly tortures, needlessly mutilates, or needlessly kills an animal. A conviction results in a minimum of 90 days in prison, not jail, prison, or in-home detention, and a mandatory minimum fine of $1,000 with a maximum fine of up to $100,000. What's the evidence that Christian did anything deserving of a penalty that severe? Vinya elaborated on why animal law enforcement apparently believed the case to be felony level. One thing that really stuck out to her is the fact that when she arrived, the cat was bathed and the laundry, the blanket the cat was, you know, supposedly found on was also washed. And the numerous beatings, um, investigations, that's kind of a common thing is that, that typically that evidence is you know, there's an effort to get rid of it. If either of you have ever tried to bathe a cat, it's not enjoyable experience, period. Yeah. Um, and the fact that someone would bathe a cat that's been injured is, is very concerning. There was no action taken by that individual to take this cat um, to the vet. So the cat had actually went from, you know, when this incident happened to a whole other day before fiancé got home and actually took action to take this cat to the vet. What makes Vinya think a whole day had passed from the time Storm was injured to the time Andrea took her to the vet? Nothing in Cheney's notes or affidavit indicates she ever established a timeline of events. All Corporal Cheney notes is that Andrea left for work in the morning and came home in the evening and saw Storm was injured. It matters when Storm was injured because failure to take a hurt kitten to a vet for a whole day is different from the failure to take a kitten in soon after she was hurt. Does animal law enforcement assume a whole day passed because Andrea had mentioned to Corporal Cheney that she noticed the stocking holder on the floor and the vase knocked over at 4 a.m. when she left for work? I don't think so. Venya told us that based on her expertise, Corporal Cheney dismissed those as a possible cause of Storm's injuries. There appears to be no consideration by Corporal Cheney that this could have been an accident. I mean, if you've ever been around a kitten, Notice how they're always getting into something. They get that playful, feral look in their eye and pounce at all kinds of things. If accidents aren't common, they're certainly possible. Why wasn't she more curious to explore the stocking holder in the vase? 
It seems like the answer to every question we raised about Cheney's investigation in this case was met with a reference to Cheney's specialized training and extensive experience investigating serious animal cruelty cases. We even heard about an episode of Rocky Mountain Animal Rescue on Nat Geo Wild that Cheney appeared in in 2019. After a four-day pause in our investigation into this, Cheney calls Christian on November 28, nine days after the injury, and is referred to his attorney, Bryson Perkins. She calls him, and he agrees to make a statement the following day. She also checks back in with Andrea, who tells her Storm has now been seen by her primary care vet, Dr. Risha Walker, who says the cat could only have sustained her injuries by a human, not an object. Okay, wait, so there's that word only again. Is this how it got introduced into this whole situation? No, it can't have originated with Dr. Walker. She's just now entered the picture. This is nine days after the injury occurred and four days after Andrea's called ALE. Okay, right. So Corporal Cheney was under the impression that the ER vet's notes said only. Even though they don't. But it's worth noting that twice now, Andrea has been reported as saying that someone says Storm's injuries are human-caused. Once when she called ALE dispatch, and now here when she tells Corporal Cheney what Dr. Walker supposedly said. On November 29th, Christian's lawyer decides not to make a statement on his client's behalf to Corporal Cheney. He says he believes she's already made a decision to charge him without hearing Christian's side of the story. That seems like an accurate assessment because Cheney delivers the complaint and summons a few hours later to Perkins' office. That same day, Cheney drops follow-up questionnaires off to all three of the veterinarians who have seen Storm. On December 6th, according to Cheney's notes, Dr. Walker calls her and says she refuses to testify ever again because of a horrible experience with the courts on a previous cruelty case. Dr. Walker says she can't attest to much concerning Storm because she examined the cat a week after the injuries were sustained. Well, you know what's strange about that? Dr. Walker insists she never spoke with Corporal Cheney about Storm's case at all. It's a glaring inconsistency, right? Corporal Cheney says Dr. Walker called her. Dr. Walker says she never did. So we called Dr. Walker's office to see if we could resolve it. We talked to Dr. Walker's lead tech and hospital manager, Monique Brown, who confirmed that... Dr. Walker has never had a conversation with that officer. I'm probably the only one in the hospital that had a conversation with her. That was, that was me that had the conversation with her. Brown goes on to say that she's the lion at the gate at Dr. Walker's office, that everything goes through her before it gets to Dr. Walker. So Corporal Cheney actually spoke with a member of Dr. Walker's staff, not Dr. Walker. Not according to Corporal Cheney. When we interviewed her much later, in February of 2021, she insisted she met in person with Dr. Walker and spoke with her directly. Cheney expressed frustration with Dr. Walker's refusal to cooperate with her investigation. Somebody did something horrific to this cat, and you don't want to stand up for justice for that, and you don't want to back up your statement that you told me? So, you know, I was put off by that. I'll admit it, I was, I was, I was upset because, you know, at that point, it's basically my report or my word against the veterinarians. And it's me or the veterinarian, who is somebody going to believe? Probably the veterinarian more than me, but what they don't know is the background of it is that this particular veterinarian, um, they were adamant that they absolutely did, did not ever want to go to court again and that they had had this horrible experience. There was really nothing more for me to do. If it's in my report and I was told that by a veterinarian, 
I'm not just going to frivolously, you know, pull that out of a, a rabbit hatch. On December 8th, Corporal Cheney obtained Storm's vet records from Dr. Walker's staff. The records contain the notation, Concur with ER vet, animal control officer, that constellation of kittens' injuries are consistent with blunt force impact, prob abuse by O's boyfriend. We take that to read probable abuse by owner's boyfriend. That sounds pretty damning. Probable abuse by boyfriend. Both you and I flagged that as a big deal when we first read over all the case files. And Corporal Cheney thinks it's crucial evidence as well. She notes she will be contacting the assistant DA on this case about the need to subpoena Dr. Walker to force her to testify regarding this notation. But let's look at Dr. Walker's notation more closely. Dr. Walker and Monique Brown both say Dr. Walker never spoke with Corporal Cheney regarding this case. So how could Dr. Walker concur with her? Maybe this notation proves Dr. Walker did speak with Corporal Cheney. But Brown also says Dr. Walker never actually spoke with the ER vets either. She was concurring with their notes that documented blunt force trauma, which she automatically received from the pet ER as Storm's listed primary care vet. All the vets agree that Storm suffered blunt force trauma. But how Storm sustained that trauma is a question the ER vets couldn't and didn't answer. The ER vets did not indicate that Storm's injury was probably due to abuse by Andrea's boyfriend. As a forensic veterinarian unrelated to this case told us, blunt force trauma is not really a specific description of what actually happened. It's a traumatic incident of some sort. The exact cause of the trauma is unknown. It could mean hit by a car. It could mean beaten with a baseball bat. So a vet can't infer how an injury happened simply because an animal is hurt. To draw a conclusion, they need additional info. Right. That same vet, who wished not to be named, elaborated on how they are trained to discuss their medical findings in a court setting. They gave an example of a dog being admitted with bruising and a fractured leg. If the owner says it was hit by a car, then they say they'll generally believe them. But if there's a witness that says they saw someone beating the dog, that changes the story. The forensic vet can then say, yes, these injuries are consistent with blunt force trauma to support the prosecution's case. So if a vet is told my boyfriend beat our cat, they can note that and say these injuries are or are not consistent with that story. Likewise, if a vet is told, I don't know how the cat was hurt, but I saw a stocking holder and a vase was knocked over, as Andrea mentioned seeing the morning before she left for work, the vet can note that and say these injuries are or are not consistent with that story. In this case, according to Dr. Cordy, the first vet to see Storm after the injury, Andrea told him she wasn't aware of any trauma that could have occurred to Storm. Dr. Ayler, the second vet to see Storm, doesn't note anything about the potential cause of Storm's injury either. I think it's important to mention here that regarding how notes are taken, we were told by all vets we spoke with that accurate note-taking is tantamount. They're trained not to speculate. They only report on the medical conditions they observe. One told us that notes should be really, really clean because they're legal records. So we're puzzled as to why Dr. Walker writes prob abuse by O's boyfriend when the ER vet notes contain nothing that indicates that possibility. Does the note come from her conversation with Andrea at Storm's follow-up visit? In the probable cause affidavit supporting the charges against Christian, Corporal Cheney says she talked with all three vets about how Storm's injuries occurred, and they all said the injuries could only have been human-caused. It doesn't make any sense. Dr. Walker saying prob abuse is the closest we can even get regarding the cause of Storm's injuries. 
And that's still a far cry from only. Not to mention, that note is written days after Corporal Cheney files her affidavit, so she couldn't have been relying on it anyway. In the VET questionnaires, Corporal Cheney asks, Based on your physical exam, do you think the cat's injuries were sustained by a human or by some other reason, such as an object or otherwise? These are their exact replies, but not their voices. It is possible that Storm's wounds were caused by a human. However, I don't think this can be definitively proven, and there are many other possibilities. Yes, could have been by a human, an object, or other cause. Unable to determine cause based on examination. So again, we aren't reading the word only anywhere. Yeah, we're reading the opposite of only. Okay, that's such an egregious discrepancy. As a journalist, that's a big red flag for me. Especially when we're talking about legal documents on which a case has been prosecuted. We asked Corporal Cheney's supervisor about this, and she said, Now, I mean, obviously, you know, in the court of law, those discrepancies can be brought forward, um, you know, which is the beauty of our justice system. It's not beautiful to a defendant facing charges based on demonstrably inaccurate statements, who's then forced to convince the prosecutor that the discrepancies are problematic enough to drop the charges outright. Or the defendant has to go to trial to prove the discrepancies to a judge or jury. It seems reasonable to require the people who supervise officers or prosecute cases based on statements by officers to scrutinize the statements for basic accuracy, like checking to see if the vet records and vet questionnaires actually say what the officer says they say. A simple fact check, like the ones we require journalists to do. But that's not what happens in this case. As far as affidavit goes, um, I did read through it, and I don't, you know, I, I don't feel like it was inflated. We actually got direct quotes from the veterinarians, even in the case report. Okay. The one specifically that stood out to me was the, the Powers Petty R uh, statement that the blood force trauma could have only been caused by a human and not an inanimate object. That's, I was looking for that because that's what I was trying to figure out. Like, where did this come from? But I didn't see that in the Powers report. I have the affidavit and then the officer's report in front of me. I don't have the vet report. Corporal Cheney notes she contacted Powers Petty R prior to making contact with the owner that evening. Powers Petty R advised me that the veterinarian's notes indicated the trauma sustained to Storm could have only been caused by a human. We point out to Vinya that what Cheney says Powers Pet ER tells her isn't consistent with the vet records or the vet's responses to the written questionnaires. You know, I all I could say is that I, what I'm guessing what happened is a lot of times those uh, veterinarian questionnaires are basically supplements to what they tell the officer on the phone, and which is what looks like, you know, happened with this is that, you know, she actually has quotes in her report um, from when she made contact with them via phone. You know, a representative from the district attorney's office, then Chief Deputy District Attorney Jeff Lindsay, said basically the same thing. It's pretty typical that docs will say something, and then when they're asked to write it on paper, they'll hedge or they'll with, you know withdraw the you know the severity of their opinion. And in my estimation, that's what happened here. Sounds plausible, right? But Cheney doesn't note she made contact with the ER vets by phone. Just someone at Powers Pet Emergency. And the vets didn't make any notes about communicating with Cheney. There's a reason for that. What we didn't know yet when we talked to Venya and the DA representative was that all the vets, not just Dr. Walker, 
say they never spoke with Corporal Cheney. Dr. Ayler says, I don't recall having any communications with Corporal Cheney. This includes phone calls in person, texts, or emails. I did receive a questionnaire from Corporal Cheney, but I did not meet with Corporal Cheney or have any personal contact with her. And Dr. Corday told the private investigator hired by Christian's family that he was never interviewed by Corporal Cheney either by phone or in person. Not only did the vet say they never spoke with Corporal Cheney, they insist they never told anyone that Storm's injuries could only be human-caused. I disagree wholeheartedly with the portion of Corporal Cheney's affidavit that indicates that we veterinarians separately determined that Storm had suffered and sustained injuries by a human. It is possible, however, I don't think this can be definitively proven, and there are many other possibilities. I can't explain it. I didn't say that, and I never met with anyone. I just wonder how that got written. Honestly, it seems shady. How could Corporal Cheney say that it was my position that the injuries could have only been caused by a human? That is not my position. I can't say that the injuries had to be human-caused. There are many other possibilities. I wasn't there when the injuries occurred. Corporal Cheney saying that the injuries were human-caused is inconsistent with my opinion. The cat could have been hit by a car or fallen four stories off a balcony. That sounds damning. The vets didn't tell Cheney that the injuries to Storm could only be human-caused, just as they didn't write that in Storm's medical records. We raised concerns about this to the highest levels of leadership at the Humane Society, as well as the district attorney's office. We'll hear their responses later. But for now, we want to focus on where the assertion that Storm's injuries could only be human-caused came from, if it didn't come from the emergency vets or clinic staff. We can't find any mention of the word only other than from Cheney. But Cheney could have gotten the idea of human-caused injuries from dispatch, who got it from Andrea when she called them, saying that the director at Powers Pet Emergency called her directly and instructed her to call animal law enforcement. Remember last episode when we told you our story revolved around a lot of contradictions? Well, here comes the next one. Pet Emergency says no one told Andrea to call ALE. Vets are mandatory reporters. If they'd suspected abuse, they're legally required to call ALE themselves. In the next episode, a private investigator hired by Christian's father tries to track down the director of Powers Pet Emergency. We'll learn more about Andrea's version of events as we delve into several statements she made throughout the course of the case, as well as conversations Christian reports having with her. And we'll also hear more about the link between animal abuse and domestic violence from experts in that field. The research is clear. There is a high correlation between animal abuse domestic violence and child abuse. It's like the trifecta, right? If you have one going on, you have a 70% chance that another form of abuse is going on in the home. I didn't want to believe whatever had happened or what people may have been thinking. She was the one that initiated that part of the conversation with me as far as um, you know, wanting to uh, seek out that restraining order. Vulnerable Creatures is written, directed, and hosted by Lauren Hug and Matthew Schnipper and produced by Vehement Visuals in Colorado Springs. Voice actors in this episode are Angie Glenmore, Daisy Pinkerton, and David Markley. Original music by Michael Johnson and Dave Pastor. Logo design by Ryan Hannigan. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters.